Hey y'all and welcome to What the Friday. I'm just going to tell you now it's not going to be your typical What the Friday because me and the boys are in Gatlinburg for the weekend. We'll be coming home on Sunday afternoon. But so I thought since we're going to be away, I was going to do something just a little different and play maybe an older episode like as a flashback Friday. So I thought that a good one for tonight would be my favorite serial killer. If you've heard it before, I hope you enjoyed it the first time, and I hope you'll listen to it again. And if you've never heard it, stick around because it's a pretty good episode. Have a good weekend. Welcome to What the Friday, an after dark series presented by mystery, murder, and magic. Listening discretion is advised. All right, well, it's not Monday morning, but I don't have a bonus episode intro yet, but we'll work on that. Now, I think Ted Bundy is probably most people's favorite serial killer. I don't know why I'm having a word, hard time with that word this morning, but anyway, he's not, Ted Bundy isn't my favorite serial killer, and I mean, yeah, he fascinates me, and it was really cool seeing his Volkswagen when we saw it in the Crown Museum. He doesn't fascinate me near as much as the one and only Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. I can't really lay a finger on exactly why I'm so drawn to him. I mean, he was pretty different than all the others in that each murder wasn't exactly the same as the last. Now, would I want to meet him in a dark alley? alley? No, heck no. But an interview with him would be awesome. Although I'm like, Eight years too late for that. So let's talk about Ramirez. He was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th of 1960. So he was a leap year baby in a Pisces. He didn't have a very happy childhood because he was abused by his father from a young age. When he was 13, he witnessed his cousin shoot his wife in the face, killing her instantly. And that very well could be when he started developing his passion for the dark and the macabre. That same cousin had also taught Ramirez some military skills that would prove to be useful later on during his crime spree. Now that cousin was Miguel Ramirez. He was a Vietnam veteran. Miguel had even shared photos from his time in Vietnam with a young Richard. One of those pictures included one where he had happily posed with the severed head of a woman that he himself had raped and decapitated. So it's no excuse by any means, but this was something that Ramirez was exposed to early on in life. He left Texas for California at the age of 22, and by then he had developed interest in Satanism and cocaine. And it was also around that time that he started committing burglaries to support his cocaine habit. Now, like I said, Ramirez wasn't too hard on the eyes either. He almost had like these Hollywood or rock star looks. He stood six foot one, he had this long hair, and his cheekbones were like beautifully carved. And they say he had this aura about him that seemed to come from like another world. I mean, he probably could have been a model or a movie star, but he chose to be a serial killer. Not only was he a serial killer, But the brutality of his crimes are hard to fathom, even in 2021. 
For a year, he terrorized Southern California while he was on a frenzied killing spree that left more than, or that included more than, sorry, it's early, y'all, but it included more than, like, this murder. He raped, sodomized, and burglarized. For 13 months without a motive, he would just often break into homes where his victims thought they were safe and bring mayhem and worse to his victims who ranged in age from six years old to the elderly. And I'm talking about people well into their 80s. And his weapons of choice, they ranged as widely as the ages of his victims. His first murder victim was a nine-year-old girl named Malon. Before stabbing her to death, he raped and beat her. When he was done, he hung her body from a pipe in the basement of a hotel in L.A. Her death in April of 1984 wasn't part of the murder spree that he went on a few months later, but she was believed to be his first murder victim. His spree didn't start until June of that same year. On June 28, 1984, Ramirez repeatedly stabbed 79-year-old Cow while she was sleeping in her bed. As a matter of fact, her throat was cut so deeply, she was nearly decapitated. Why would he do this to a defenseless elderly woman? He had broken into her home to rob her, but he was so angry over her lack of valuables that he went into a rage. And killing her wasn't enough. Once he was finished taking her life, he was so aroused by it all that he raped her corpse. Now, Ramirez went and take another victim until March of the next year. On the 17th of that month, Ramirez, now that was March the 17th, I didn't say that, but March 17th, Ramirez came across the condo of... Um, Dale Okazaki and Maria Hernandez. Now, Hernandez was in the garage when Ramirez broke in, so he shot at her. And the creepy thing about when he came in to the garage was he didn't try to sneak in on her. He wanted her to see him. He tapped on the top of her car to get her attention, so she turned around to face him when he shot at her. Well, fortunately, the bullet ricocheted off of her keys. Now, Okazaki was, she was inside the condo, so when she heard the shot being fired in the garage, she hid behind the kitchen counter. Well, all was quiet, so she raised her head, you know, just kind of take a look around. But she only found Ramirez pointing a gun at her face, and then he pulls the trigger. I mean, he could have just, like, shot her while she was hiding, but no, he had to see her face. It's like he liked seeing that fear in his victim's eyes. Now, Hernandez would be the first of several survivors of his crime spree. But Okazaki, she wasn't so fortunate. Forty minutes later, he moved on to his next crime, where he dragged a 30-year-old Sally and you from her car and shot her in the chest. Ten days later, Ramirez broke into the house of 
24-year-old Vincent Zazara and his 44-year-old wife, Maxine. And not that his crimes hadn't been gruesome before, it became even more so at that point. First, he sh- <clears throat> Sorry, first he shot Vincent, who instantly died, but next he raped Maxine multiple times, stabbed her, carved a T into her breast, and then gouged out her eyes. But that wasn't enough. He placed Maxine's eyes in her jewelry box and left with the jewelry box containing the eyes. He took all that with him when he left. But he also left a clear footprint in the dirt just outside the window. On May 14th, Ramirez killed an elderly Bill Doy before placing his wife Lillian in thumb cuffs, then raping and beating her. She would become Ramirez's second survivor. Now, two weeks later, 83-year-old Mabel Bell and her 81-year-old sister Florence Lang were tied up, bludgeoned, and left for dead. Both were found in a comatose state. Florence survived the attack, but Mabel didn't. The following night, he drove to the home of Carol Kyle, where he tied up his 42-year-old lady and her 11-year-old son. After he rummaged around through the house and couldn't find what he wanted, he untied Carol and directed her at gunpoint to show him where the family's valuables were. After she did that, he repeatedly raped Carol. Now, Ramirez told her over and over not to look at him or he would cut her eyes out. Before he fled the scene, he brought the 11-year-old out of the closet that he had put him in and tied the two together with handcuffs. That was all before he left. Now, the list of survivors and victims continues to go on and on. One in particular that I thought was interesting because Ramirez actually became spooked himself during it. On the night of July the 5th, 1985, while Whitney Bennett slept in her bedroom, Ramirez let himself in through an unlocked window. This time he had brought a tire iron with him. He repeatedly beat the teenager's head with a tire iron and then left to find a knife in the kitchen of the home. When he couldn't find one, he returned to Whitney's room and continued to attack by attempting to strangle her with a telephone cord. Suddenly, sparks flew out of the cord, and this startled Ramirez. He thought it was a sign of divine intervention, so he dropped the cord and he left the scene. He left behind the tire iron that he had brought with him and a bloody footprint. Whitney survived the attack, but she needed almost 500 stitches in her head and cosmetic surgery. To repair all the damage that he had did. Um, I just can't even imagine what that poor girl went through. His path of destruction continued until August 24th, 1985, when he attacked Bill Carnes and his fiance Inez Erickson. Carnes was shot and Erickson was raped, but both survived the ordeal. So how was Richard Ramirez finally caught? That in itself is quite interesting. At the end of August, Ramirez traveled to Arizona by bus to visit his brother, but when he got there, his brother wasn't home. So he returned to California the next day, which I believe they said was August 31st, and he went back to his crime spree, or he tried to. 
During an attempted carjacking, he heard a group of elderly women call him the killer, and he saw his very own face on the front of a newspaper at a nearby newsstand. So he ran away and attempted another carjacking. This time, onlookers stepped in and chased him away, but he's not going to give up. He attempted two more carjackings after that. Now, a group of civilians finally caught up with him, and once they did, they beat him, and they held him down until police arrived and took him into custody. Well, while he was waiting for trial, Ramirez started receiving fan mail, too, and no, I wasn't one of those that was writing him letters. And some of his fans even came to visit him. One fan in particular, her name was Doreen Layaway. She caught Ramirez's attention. She had written him 75 letters. So in 1988, Ramirez proposed marriage. But they wouldn't exchange vows until eight years later on October 3, 1996. Now, over the years, Doreen said that if they executed uh, Ramirez, that she would commit suicide. But she ended up leaving him in 2009 when DNA evidence confirmed that he had raped and murdered nine-year-old Maylon. I guess she could deal with the other stuff, but just not that. And it got me thinking, maybe that's what meatloaf meant by I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Anyway, let's talk about his trial. And man, y'all, that was a shit show in itself. Jury selection for his trial began on July 22, 1988. At his first court appearance, Ramirez raised his hand that he had drawn a pentagram on and yelled, Hail Satan. In early August, jail employees reported overhearing Ramirez saying that he was going to shoot the prosecutor and had made plans to have the gun smuggled into the courtroom. Towards the middle of August, the court proceedings were delayed because a juror by the name of Phyllis Singletary hadn't shown up for court. She was found shot to death in her apartment, and as you can imagine, this freaked out the remaining jury members. They thought that somehow Ramirez had orchestrated her murder from inside the jail, and they wondered if maybe they would be next. But it was later found that she had been killed by her boyfriend and then he later killed himself in a hotel room using the same gun that he had used to kill Singletary with. Well, finally, on September the 20th, 1989, Richard Ramirez was found guilty of 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. When he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber, he told reporters, Big deal. Death always comes with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Until O.J. Simpson's murder trial in 1994, Ramirez's trial was the most expensive in California's history. And of course, with any conviction comes the appeals process. Ramirez's first round of appeals ended in the state's favor on August 7, 2006 month later, his request for a new trial was also denied. But Ramirez would never see the death chamber. On June 7, 2013, he passed away from complications that were secondary to B-cell lymphoma. 
He was 53 and he had been on death row for over 23 years. And when he died, he still had additional pills, appeals pending. And also at the time of his death, he was engaged to a 23-year-old writer named Christine Lee. Other than just being plain out evil, what could make a person so wicked? A psychiatrist named Michael H. Stone described Ramirez as being a made psychopath rather than being born one. A schizoid personality disorder enabled Ramirez to be cold and uncaring when it came to the suffering of his victims. And because he had been knocked unconscious and nearly died on several occasions when he was only six years old, he later developed frontal lobe epilepsy, aggressivity, and hypersexuality. Well, I need to go finish up our Thanksgiving meal. Because remember how I said I was going to do most of the put-together of casseroles and whatnot on Wednesday night? Well, I didn't. I went to bed early last night, y'all. This time change is still killing me. But I hope y'all have the best Thanksgiving, and I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode today. Don't forget to come back on Friday night for an all-new What Friday.